Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast. Over the past few weeks, we've been discussing vulnerability and the various ways in which it manifests itself. And one of the biggest ways in which vulnerability has been exploited over the past 12 to, to 24 months has been in the number of rogue operators targeting people with pensions, scams, protection ads, fake investments, and even horrendously targeting people who are feeling vulnerable and isolated, claiming that they have to pay 50 quid or 100 quid to get the NHS COVID test. We know alarmingly action fraud figures state that 1.4 million people have received a fake phone call or an email trying to solicit financial information from them. And while, of course, the pandemic still rages on, people are still feeling vulnerable and still feeling maybe they're still isolated because they haven't been able to see friends and family. And maybe they're just kind of more susceptible to clicking on an ad or picking up the phone and falling prey to some, some of these scams. So we're going to talk today about what we can do as an industry, journalists, uh, protection providers and protection advisors to help root out the rogues, deprive them of oxygen and help make protection and insurance a safer place for everyone, especially the end consumer. Joining me, Simone Kiriakou, is Steve Casey. He's the marketing director of Square Health, Alain Desmere, founder of Contact State, and Catherine Knoll. She's the managing director of Cura Financial Services. Welcome all. Hi. Hi. Catherine, can I start with you? Have you noticed uh, a rise in rogue adverts or scam calls during COVID? Um, I think there probably has been. I mean, one of the things that I noticed, because I'm obviously on social media quite a bit, is the amount of social media adverts that suddenly started really coming up, especially in sort of like the protection space. And it was the, it's the kind of thing of, it's just across all platforms. And I'm not necessarily sure if, you know, I don't know if anything specifically breached any rules or anything like that, but there was just such an intense amount. And I think, I think you know, obviously in some ways, you know, Firms are going to be trying to use this current situation to try and promote themselves, which is understandable. But, you know, I was getting really frustrated because, you know, I would be looking at things and there'll be my, you know, obviously my husband who are in the same area and he wasn't getting them. But because I'm a mum, I'm in my 30s, I've got young kids, I was obviously ticking the boxes for what they'd been targeting. And it started to really annoy me because I thought, well... Again, it's, it's to each their own as to what their marketing strategies are. But I was thinking, why? Why have you suddenly decided that women of that age, you know, with children are suddenly post, you know, during COVID are suddenly like somebody that you really, really need to go for? Because to me, that should be something that's happening all the time. You know, you should, we should be trying to engage anybody, women or men, um, to, to be involved in this. And, um, and yeah, I think it was just, it's been a bombardment. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, I, I've certainly noticed quite a few calls. Um, Steve, you and I have been having a bit of fun with uh, rogue callers and uh, rogue operators. Could you talk to me a little bit about what uh, you've been doing? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I'm at the other end of the spectrum with, uh, to Catherine in terms of I'm over 50 and uh, I seem to be getting inundated again across various media platforms for whole of life products and whole of life products whereby that uh, if I have any health related issues, for example, they can give me a guaranteed acceptance plan. So I've certainly seen a big uptake, but I don't think it is just life insurance or life protection, etc. I've seen such things as you rightly say, COVID vaccines, COVID antibody, antigen tests. And only last week, there was an example where um, I got a call saying that I might be eligible for a government backed scheme 
that could write off between 50 to 70% of all my debts. Yeah. And it's crazy how they sort of, they seem to know enough about you to target you or to target you with things that they think people might be interested in. So obviously there's big data being generated somewhere. Alain, what's the, uh, are there any metrics behind this? Is there any reason that um, people are being targeted with ads that seem specifically tailored to them? I mean, I think there's, there's probably a, a couple of things going on in the sense that the reasons for insurance are now a lot clearer. And so there's a much clearer call to action. There are people in general are using their phones and their smartphones and their laptops more. We've seen that. And that's, you know, those, those stats have been played out. People are in front of their screens a lot more during this period. So there's more, there's more uh, targeting ability. I, I think I've, I've probably got a slightly different story to tell in the sense that at the start of lockdown, at the start of the, the pandemic back in March of last year, we saw a real surge in brand impersonation, insurer impersonation, um, intermediary impersonation. And actually, uh, because of the actions of a number of people to, to, to raise this issue, that's almost dropped off to nothing. Um, so I think when we're talking about f adverts and fraudulent adverts, I think there's, there's probably two buckets we want to talk about here. One, there's the out-and-out -out fraudulent, misleading you know, lying and in breach of various regulations. And then there's probably the, the distasteful or things that we don't like and actually, you know, another conversation around that. But certainly, and I do this work for a number of, a number of clients, I, I track fraudulent adverts. And certainly if you go onto Google, we're in a much better place than we were 12 months ago. And I think that's because of exactly podcasts like this, exactly news stories like this, of people pointing out this is going on. And so I think, you know, one of the things I would sort of tell your listeners and people listening to this podcast is that the best thing we can do is, is to shout loudly about things that we don't like and things that, and, and raise questions around things we don't like, because that's the way in which I think we can start to say, well, well wh where should the industry be? Yeah, I, I had a conversation with Google uh, a couple of weeks ago and they said they've taken down or sort of put an end to over a million rogue ads across the financial um, services world. But I spoke to the FCA just a few days before that, and they said they're still trying to push these big platforms to do more because the FCA keeps seeing consumers coming to them saying, I think I've been scammed. We keep seeing the numbers rising at action fraud. And, you know, I, I understand there's the out and out fraud and then there's the perhaps the things that are distasteful. But sometimes, as, as far as I'm concerned, the things that are distasteful are often the things that are maybe half truths or half lies. So if they are targeting me on Facebook, as they have done, saying women of a certain age uh, <laughs> in your area could qualify for £10.50 life insurance a month, I know for a fact that isn't going to be the premium that I'm offered if I were to follow this through. It's misleading at best, but I've always heard that a half truth is just the same as a whole lie. And, you know, if, if I know that and I've been working in the industry for 20 odd years, how is someone who's a who's a how's a client? How is a someone who doesn't perhaps even have a financial advisor? How are they to know this is a rogue? I mean, Catherine, I, I can see you you're nodding here. You, you've obviously encountered this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I had a very, very specific, I think my phone number's actually been blacklisted by the firms who do this on Rogue thing because um, I had a, a lot of fun with somebody once. Um, and um, yeah, they, um, they they hung the phone upon me, actually, which I thought, you know, that's, um, that's an achievement sometimes. But no, I mean, I've definitely been seeing things recently. And I think it's, it's that kind of thing that you were saying there, you know, if people can understand that there's fraudulent firms, so they expect there to be fraudulent firms and a lack of distrust at times over that. But it's these people who are kind of in the middle 
that I think even more so create the distrust because then it's a case if it's not a case of what, well, hang on, are they telling the truth? Are they not telling the truth? I can't fully identify them as a fraud, but then it's the person who's legitimate over there. Well, this person's kind of saying some things that legitimate person's saying, so now I'm so confused. I've had a couple recently where somebody, luckily, the, the um, so two people, that luckily one of them I picked up myself, but somebody was speaking to me. She said, well, look, I was speaking to this firm and I know it's a lead generation firm. And they said, you know, that I was able to get this policy immediately straight through online. And I obviously went through their medical history and, um, you know, immediately knew that they could not get that policy straight through online. It was it just would not have been possible. And it was very clear non-disclosure on the advisor's part. And, you know, I think it also comes down to this with bad practice. You know, sometimes, you know, in all things, we're going to get people who are doing things very, very well. And we're going to get people who aren't doing things well. But there was another person I've been speaking to. And luckily, just randomly, he happened to mention um, that he'd recently reviewed his private medical insurance. Now, obviously, I don't advise on that. I have done in the past. But I knew, again, through recent medical history that with him being having this policy reviewed, um, that there would now be quite a significant exclusion going forward and I'd said to, to them are you did you do this with an advisor and they're like oh yeah yeah it was just you know it wasn't my original advisor though so I just dug a little bit more and I was like okay so it was the original advisor do you did you engage this person no it's one of those ones you know they, they have bought my data you know obviously I did establish they've bought my data but you know they've managed to save me a um, hundred pound a year and um, so I was just like okay this person was in the 70s and said they'd had something recently, a couple of years before, which absolutely I knew was not okay. So I then straight away was saying to them, look, please, you know, obviously, I appreciate this isn't my area. Please let me just, in, the, in my background, I'll just go speak to someone else. I won't share any of the information. I'll just ask a specialist that I know their thoughts. And I immediately spoke to a specialist and they were like, you know, your spidey senses were right, Catherine, this isn't okay. But let us speak to him. So anyway, a long story short, he ended up speaking to the specialist that I know. And luckily, they were in the time frame to reverse the decision of the cancellation of the original policy. Because if not, instead of just being like him thinking there was maybe an exclusion for a year or two, there was going to be a lifelong exclusion on that policy now. Completely inappropriate. But then the interesting thing about that is that obviously I've been speaking to this person for, for a while and helping them in regards to their protection. But as soon as that happened, and obviously he was really thankful for me, really trusted me, and was really happy and everything. He still, when I then went to do the application for the protection, he straight away was like, but I need to know what's going to happen with my data now. What's going to happen? What's that insurer going to yeah. do with my data? Because it's already been sold once. What are, you, what are you doing with it? So even though he trusted me, somebody very, very legitimate, that immediately caused him concern which is completely understandable and you know i think we have to really take a hold of what we're doing to people well not me <laughs> not us guys here but what what people are doing to people it's, it's just really not yeah. it's not on <laughs> yeah because the the, the 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 data point is a very very important one not only is it uh, illegal to pass on data under gdpr to a third party without the consent of the individual but also the, it's very hard to verify who's got your data. It's very hard for the individual to know exactly who who has the data at the other end of the phone. I think, uh, Alain, you're, uh, you've been tracking this particularly, haven't you? Yeah, look, I think the issue that Catherine raises is the central point. Um, if, if you go into a pub or a supermarket and buy something, you get a receipt back and that receipt tells you exactly what's going to happen. It tells you exactly what's happened, what you've bought. And the what I want to see the entire industry, financial services as a whole, move towards is this idea that data cannot be passed around or someone can't receive a phone call unless there is clear, explicit 
um, evidence that the consent's been given. And this is around this idea of certification. Um, we wrote a white paper about it last year. But for, for far too long, the, 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 the situation that Catherine just described, it happens every day. People get a phone call out of the blue saying, can I review your life insurance policy? This, is not, this isn't a gray area. This is just wrong. Um, and something as important of life insurance is as important. If you go and buy a house, you'll expect to see a you'll expect to see a uh, a whole history of what's happened to that house. But yet, insurers uh, and underwriters don't seem to want to have the same level of uh, due diligence about where our consumers come from. What I want to see is an absolute certification approach to every consumer conversation. I want to see what that consumer's agreed to, because if you don't have their permission. I don't think you should be able to sell the life insurance policy. End of story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Steve, you've been uh, targeted quite a lot. Actually, you seem to get uh, calls um, almost every week of someone trying to uh, flog your life insurance on new income protection. Have you ever been able to get to a human being at the other end of the phone who's explained where they've got your data from? No, not at all, unfortunately. And, you know, there's, there's various practices that occur, such as, you know, sort of like the, almost like the cloaking of the number. So, you know, yesterday somebody called me from the review team, which is uh, a very nice person who wanted to review my life insurance. I checked out the number. To, I went on uh, who-call.co.uk. That number had been reviewed by 3,031 people and 33 people actually put comments about it being either dangerous or harassing. Mm. But it's, 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 they're playing on people's fears because some yeah. of the excuses are absolutely fantastic, you, you know. Because of COVID, funeral costs are increasing at an alarming rate, and they could fix the costs of a funeral for me right away. Just to let you know that life insurance premiums for self-employed and contract staff, which is interesting, has significantly reduced as a result of the impact of COVID. And uh, I am due for a free review of my life insurance, and the time is right, as the rates for life insurance have dropped dramatically due to increased numbers of people buying insurance. It's a bit like buying toilet roll due to COVID. There's I mean, some... that's bonkers, isn't it? Absolute bonkers. Nothing at all about the individual circumstances, nothing at all about... I mean, no one wants to fill in 24 pages of in-depth medical history um, just to speak to an advisor. But at the same time, there has to be some element of, well, we have to re review your individual circumstances. It could be your end premium could be higher, could be lower. Nothing of that. I mean, Obviously, to you, Steve, that raises huge red flags. But do you think that that sort of raises red flags to someone just seeing that on Facebook or Twitter or even on TikTok now, these adverts? Are... Yeah, especially on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, you know, to, for the, you know, the good old fashioned man on the Clapham omnibus, you know, the, the, some of this might sound legitimate or vastly you know, legitimate in terms of what's going on. And, you know, one and one might equal three in somebody's mind and they might fall for it. They might do. Now, you know, I've spent my career in financial services. I sort of know the steps. So, you know, very often the phone is put down when you say perhaps ask for an FCA number, just as an example. Yeah, absolutely. So, Catherine, what does this kind of thing mean for trust in the insurance industry? I, I know that if I were a consumer and I'd been bitten by one of these guys, I'd be twice shy of, of getting any insurance. Well, I think, you know, a big thing as well is that trust is earned and you have to repeatedly, you know, keep gaining that kind of trust and earning it going forward. And you know, we know that there's that common theme that people are saying, well, insurers don't pay out and, oh, they're not going to give me this because of that and that. And it's because of the fact that they've either heard a story 
or experience something themselves, they're not going to distinguish whether or not they've not had, you know, maybe, I don't know, a home insurance claim paid or something compared to a life insurance. They're not going to be sort of thinking about that. They've been, you know, sort of like done hard by, by an insurance company or, you know, by sort of like um, a different firm or somebody that they know has. And those stories stick. And I think with anything, it's like with a lot of things, you know, we always, the, the, the shock stories or the things that we think, you know, really sort of um, inappropriate are the ones that we remember. We don't remember the good times and the things that has worked out well for people. And I think it's a really good example, that person that I gave, where, you know, I said, you know, it was somebody who was very trusting of me. And, you know, even though he trusted me, even though I'd stepped in and then been able to help reverse an error of someone else, he was then still nervous about what I do. And I think it's really important as well, thinking about like what Steve said there about, you know, the 3,300 people. That's 3,300 people who've experienced it, who have the internet and have the knowledge to go somewhere like that and leave a review. There's a lot of people who, and especially people who are older, who wouldn't do that or wouldn't think to do that. It's straight away when you were saying that, Steve, immediately my dad came to my mind, you know, because obviously as we've talked quite a bit, he's got Parkinson's. And he's still aware. He's, he's not the, at the mental capacity that he used to be, but you know, he's still very aware. He still have that power to make that decision over changing his insurances. And I'll be honest, he would absolutely fall for something. The amount of times that he'll maybe get messages on his phone, a text message, not necessarily about life insurance, but about different things. And immediately he'll be saying, oh, well, I've got this message. And straight away, well, I, did you press the link? Did you, you know, and it's just kind of like, right, what did you do? And, you know, because we kind of like, we don't know whether or not he has or he hasn't, because they can look so, so legitimate. And I personally am that kind of thing, like, if I don't like something, I don't trust something, then I just switch off from everything that's anything to do with it, because I'm just like, I just can't be bothered to deal with this. And, you know, I, I think that I'm probably not the only person who would be like that. I think there's a lot of people who would just think, well, I have no idea who to trust, so I'm just not even going to bother looking at it. Why would I? Hmm. Absolutely. Now, we, we know that the, uh, the, the scammers have become a lot more tech savvy, obviously operating across a range of social media platforms and, you know, be able to replicate to clone firms. Are there tech solutions we can put in place? I know, uh, Alan and Steve, you're both sort of tech experts in your, in your own field, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk to Contact State and then um, and, and see what, what can we do? What, what sort of tech can we put in place? Well, first of all, it's a it's a it's a regulatory question. It's my view that you should not be able to advertise in financial services for a financial promotion unless you are either directly authorised or you're a, a, an appointed rep of the firm you're advertising for. This is a simple fix, and I've been calling on the FCA to do this for most of my career. They're finally listening, and we, there was a big consultation last year around how. Uh, lead generation is going to be regulated going forward. So they are listening. The ICO are listening. The ICO have handed out a number of fines in the last two months for firms that make calls unsolicited to data. The ICO are trying to, I guess, move that um, move that due diligence onto firms buying leads. And that's absolutely correct. I come back to this point around privacy. I mean, Catherine, Catherine tells the, the point that Catherine makes about data privacy is is sad and right in the sense that people are uh, are nervous about their data. But in truth, I think everyone should be nervous about their data. I think when you go online and you start giving your details away, I think you should be as nervous about doing that as you are when you give your credit card details away. And that's something that I think you know is an evolution point. I, I've made the point, but I think, I think that uh, uh, an insurer should demand to see exactly where uh, what a consumer has seen on their customer journey before they're put on risk. I think if you made that simple change 
and said, I want to see an independent certificate that, that, that verifies that this consumer has consented to call, then you change things. Look, I, I've done the mo modeling, I've done the propensity modeling. We know, we absolutely know that you are far more likely to cancel if you've come through a clickbait uh, a clickbait path. We can see the data. We can see that you're far less likely to be contacted and more likely to be canceled. So yeah. I think there's, as well as a due diligence point, there's a commercial point here that actually calling people less times and having better conversations leads to a better outcome for the industry. So I think it's all around how you certify that how that's happening. Yeah, but you, you also need people to trust the tech that you are offering. I mean, for example, Square Health offers through its uh, its GP consultations. You can have special one on ones with, with with the GP. You can do your your health reviews, and these are all things that are amazing. Things that people should feel completely confident about using these kind of innovative services because it helps them to to, to get seen. It can help you know with counselling, etc. But these are very personal and private things that people are you know, they're talking to a stranger via a screen. You need to have complete trust in that financial services provider to do that. And the question is, like, if you have been stung, as Catherine says, by a fake thing, or if, if you find that your data has been used wrongfully elsewhere, maybe you're just going to feel more nervous about using the very services that are put in place to help you. I mean, how would you encourage, Steve, how would you encourage people sort of to, to trust the good stuff? It, it, it is really difficult to, uh, from a, you know, a, a man in the street to really split the wheat from the chaff in here at the moment. It's, it's a very um, uh, muddled, muddied pond, if you like, in terms of uh, what is really out there. I agree with Alan in terms of some form of identifiable route, almost like from soup to cheese, mm. from when the lead first comes on to the uh, to actually going on risk is probably the appropriate thing. I take your point in Thailand and also about profitability. I mean, having worked with uh, four providers in the past, you know, profitability by distribution is absolutely fundamental because it can make or break your business, let's be honest, around that. But, uh, uh, you know, just picking up on Catherine's point also about trust. I mean, you know, I think what's happening actually destroys any form of trust that mm -hmm. someone might have in financial services. It's a bit like we're all being tired of the same brush. So, you know, the PPI scandals, et cetera, that, that has an absolute knock-on effect elsewhere. But I can just imagine what would happen if, say, a policy was lapsed before a new policy was underwritten and then something happened mm. to that individual or the, the, they lapsed the policy on, on uh, for whatever reason because they thought they were going to get a new one and the underwriting actually uh, makes them have a higher premium than they were paying previously, for example, and maybe less benefits. I mean, that that would be the, the worst scenario I think would have, potentially would ever happen. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, then they tell their friends, oh, I wouldn't trust X, Y and Z or I wouldn't ever trust insurance. So that word of mouth on which, you know, that the whole industry relies, because after all, we, <laughs> protection is something you still have to sell. It's not something that people just automatically wake up think, hmm, you know, I'm going to get some life insurance today. Probably one of the most important things you can ever have in place is is some kind of financial protection and yet something like this destroys trust and undermines the trust in, in, in all the good things that, that you do. So, I mean, I absolutely agree. It's great to have an idea of verification. Create that, as, um, as Steve says, that sort of audit trail so you can see exactly who's got your data, where it's come from. And that also gives providers and advisors who've bought leads confidence that when they have bought leads, they can actually verify who's had it, how many people have exactly. touched it along the data trail. Could we also sort of perhaps encourage 
brokers and advisors who use leads to track them and to make sure that if there's any doubt or if something smells a bit fishy, they just stop using that um, lead generator? Yeah, if I may, Simu, I'll just, uh, and I'm on a podcast, but here are here are my, my three phones that I use to put test data through misleading adverts. When I see a misleading advert, I fill in a form with one of these phones and I regularly change the SIM card so I don't get blocked. And what I do when I find a misleading advert is I let the firm call me back. And then I ask to speak to the compliance director of that firm. I ask for their FCA number. Um, I ask for the, the compliance director. And then I screenshot the advert, the journey I've been through. And I explain to them that under the ASA rules around advertising, they are as liable for that advert as the elite generator that's, that's producing it. And look, there has been, in the last 12 months, there's been nothing as effective as actually calling out the firms that are buying leads. Because most of these guys don't realize they're buying fraudulent leads um, yeah. because there is no system in place. So if, you know, in terms of what we might do and how we might clean it up, if you've got an interest in this, certainly as an advisor and you want to, you want to uh, help the industry, that's a great way of doing it. And, and, and if enough of us do that, then we'll start building up much bigger picture and the message will get through the fraudulent adverts just won't be allowed. Mm. And uh, as to Steve's point earlier, you know, flag things up on who called me or um, where did this number come from? And the FCA has also got its scan smart microsite that we can go up and report things to. Who else can, can we report these things to? Well, I think in terms of data misuse, and if, you're, if you receive a phone call out of the blue, that with someone's got your details, the absolute place to go is the ICO. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give give them uh, praise where it's due. They are doing a very, very good job of following up data misuse. So if, if you receive a phone call and you know that you haven't made an application, the thing you absolutely must do is get as much evidence as you can, go to the ICO website where there's a very easy complaint form and fill in the details of both the person that called you and also what they were trying to sell. That's the best thing you could do because they, their investigation team is very good. Mm. And Catherine, can we use social media against these um, these rogues? So um, can you take a screenshot perhaps of a, a dodgy ad and then tell all your followers, be careful of this this one. Um, I followed them. It's a, it's a fake number or it's a, it's a number that's been reported. I mean, c- can we just use that? We can do, but then I was also, because I was um, very up for doing this, as you can imagine, but then somebody did say to me, and it did make me sort of like pause a little bit before I got involved in that, as they said, is that if we're doing that, then there's a couple of things. It can look petty, um, which obviously that's not important, but it is some type of, the main thing is, is if we're calling out other people, then we're adding potentially to that image of distrust, Right. And are we better to do things in the background? So I completely agree with Alan in the sense of I, I think there's duties in lots of different areas. I think advisors, insurers and other companies as well. I think there needs to be consequences. And I, I don't like to say that, but my compliance head comes in <laughs> and thinks yeah. there should be consequences. As an advisor firm, if you don't know where your lead is coming from, there should be consequences that if you don't know that. As an insurer, they should be auditing, maybe not necessarily every case, but even like partly, you know, with each advisor firm saying, right, we're at this time, we're going to take all these, you know, people that you've put with us, certain percentage, we want you to show us the data trail of that. And I think something that's been really interesting for me, and that there may be something that's really, it's really pretty obvious, um, and it's just something I don't know, but it's that we're, we're targeting the rogue firms that are buying these data, but 
I don't actually really myself know who is selling it and the people who are selling the data, how are they getting that in the first place? Because mm -hmm. they are they are establishing this information. So it's kind of like, where's the data leak? Where yeah. are they getting that information from in the first place? And you know, that's when the ICO, the FCA, everybody needs to come in. It can't be a case of us saying, right, advisors, you need to do this and this is your duty. That's not going to be possible. And you know, in the sense of, yes, it is, but it's not just advisors, it is insurers, it is the FCA. It has to be everybody's targeting this from all angles. Yeah, and I think some of these lists must be very old because as I've said to, to, to Steve before, when I've tried following up on some of the uh, dodgy callers that he's he's got, I've tried to follow them through and they have answered my call using my first name and my maiden name. Oh. Now, my maiden name hasn't been in use. You know, I, I, I changed it as soon as I got married. It hasn't been in use since 2013. So this is way before GDPR came into effect. Mm -hmm. how, how old are these lists that they know they've still got my mobile phone number attached to my maiden name somewhere? Mm -hmm. I mean, but, and how do you even track that down? I mean, it's a minefield. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know, but it's probably based somewhere in, in America mm -hmm. or a, a call center in Malta. It's, if it's sort of that extra jur jurisdictional, how do, we even, um, how do we even stop these? How do we get to the heart of the problem? You're absolutely spot on in terms of the jurisdiction because, um, you know, uh, when I've tried to do my amateur sort of investigations, if you like, you know, I'm coming up with Gibraltar, I'm coming up with Malta, I'm, I'm coming up <laughs> everywhere where obviously I've got no knowledge or understanding of the local legislation, regulations, etc. What are they allowed and not allowed to do? It's, it's a very, it's, a, it's an absolute minefield. Hmm. So again, that sounds like it comes down to regulators and perhaps even to Parliament, to legislators. It, it, it does, but I think there's a step before that. I think, and, and Catherine's already mentioned it, is if you're buying data, you should never be in a situation where you're buying data where it doesn't, you don't know where it's coming from. Clearly, I have a commercial interest in saying that uh, the technology that I provide. There are other people who provide exactly the same technology. It's a very straightforward and easy thing to do to certify. And I think... If, if if you're not asking those questions and insurers, as Catherine's actually spot on, insurers should be asking more questions around where are you getting your data from? And I think that is the way you'll prevent these offshore call centres even being in operation. Because if, if you take the oxygen away, if you take the, or we can't work with you unless we absolutely know where you've got your data from and we, unless you can absolutely prove where the consents come from, there's no business. And so it's that sort of passport of the consumer, I suppose, that, that's that's going to be the most important thing going forward. Can I also put all of you on the spot and ask whether you might be interested in lobbying your MPs to lobby the Department for Culture, Media and Sport to make sure financial harms are included in the upcoming online harms bill? I'm always uh, lobbying my MP. I do it with everything. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, so good. I, I know for a fact that Steve Timms is going to table an amendment to ask the DCMS to attach this amendment to the online harms bill so that financial harms are included, which should give more teeth to regulators and to enforcers to, to root out bad stuff. But we also need to, to create a voice and maybe all, all our listeners can also help lobby their MPs. Mm, um, absolutely. Any pressure I think we can put on to, to get sort of more teeth to the laws, I think would help. Yeah, you have my support there, Simony. Fantastic. And Catherine, you've probably already started penning a letter to your MP. Wow. <laughs> 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 yes. 
fantastic. Well, I mean, if if you if you do, I'd, I'd be very interested in sort of seeing the letters, and obviously, if any listeners um, are going to to write to their MPs to. Uh, encourage the DCMS to do this and I'd certainly like to see the letters as well we can make that um, something very practical that we can do but I'm I'm afraid that actually this is all we've got time for uh, right now I, we could talk about this subject all day but we've actually got to get on with the job of tackling these scammers head-on and uh, protecting clients so Steve, Alan and Catherine thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and thank you all for listening until next thank time you. take care thank you goodbye cheers 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.